Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to Semaphore Uncut, a podcast for developers about building great products. In this new episode, Darko, the podcast host, welcomes Nathan Sobo, the creator of Atom and Electron. Nathan shares his experience building Zed, a revolutionary code editor set to revolutionize social coding collaboration. I hope you enjoy this new episode. Now let's dive in. So our guest is uh, Nathan Sobo. Nathan, just go ahead and introduce yourself. I spent a really long time at uh, GitHub previous to the thing I'm doing now. Created the Atom editor. Also, I was pretty involved in the creation of what began as a, a tool called Atom Shell, but we later renamed to Electron. More recently, I've kind of plowed everything that I learned doing Atom into continuing the vision and getting it right this time with my new company, Zed, which is an, a collaborative editor that focuses on performance, uh, clean design, and then being multiplayer. So making it really easy to interact with your teammates directly inside your code authoring environment. At Semaphore, we're all about helping startups and growing businesses achieve their goals. We're introducing the startup and scale-up plans, which come with a per-seat fee, ensuring that we continue providing the additional value that our users expect. These plans come packed with several new features that were previously only available on our enterprise plan, such as new machines with faster CPUs and double the RAM and disk space, self-hosted agents for easy auto-scaling and complete control, metrics and insights for improved build performance over time, streamlined releases with powerful deployment controls, and much more. Head over to semaphoreci.com pricing for more information and happy building. On that topic of like collaborating with your colleagues with on, on the same piece of code, can you give some your thoughts on that? Before GitHub, I worked, uh, spent the very beginning of my career at a place called Pivotal Labs. What was interesting about Pivotal was we pair programmed like 40 hours a week. It was at the time their tagline was social coding. And like for a lot of the world, that was really true. It was like way more social form of coding than what had existed, what had come before. But compared to what I was experiencing every day at work, it wasn't even close. My vision for what it means to be like social in respect to code is like a lot richer and deeper, I think, than just this limited form of, hey, I worked on some stuff by myself. I opened up a pull request. Here's a diff. And let's go back and forth with commentary on the diff. There's like so much more interaction that potentially needs to happen than just discussing some changes that I want to introduce to the code. What if I need to ask you some questions about a part of the code I'm about to change before I even get started? Or as I'm working, I hit a, a snag and I need to interact. And so while that, that async workflow is, is amazing, my vision is to really open up the surface area of the entire code base and also open up kind of the chronology of when you interact to be from when you're thinking about implementing something all the way through implementing it and include also when you're done and you want to introduce those changes and give the same revolution and tooling that GitHub introduced for that, just introducing changes to like conversations that span the whole life cycle of development and the whole breadth of the code base. But to do that, I think we need kind of to level up our technology and our tools to really, yeah, to really level up the collaborative experience and the kind of conversations you can have you got to pull that into the code authoring environment itself. We can, we're kind of at the limit of what's possible 
just by taking snapshots of the file system. GitHub and its various imitators um, are the limit, I think, or approaching the limit of what's possible just in that world. That has also a very interesting, you know, stack that you choose to work with in terms of, you know, programming language and, you know, all the other technologies. Can you give us an introduction if someone would want to contribute tomorrow? <laughs> you know, if our thesis is that to build this new way of working together that needs to be kind of integrated directly into the editor, well, that's a tall order because it means we need to build an editor that people really want to use. And we created Atom previously and... You know, created Electron, but even using Visual Studio Code, I just really found myself frustrated with the performance limitations of trying to build an application like this in web technology. There's just an upper limit that you can reach. And I think Code did a really admirable job of pushing that tech to the absolute limit, but the limit is still there. The very beginning of Zed, we actually tried just to write the core of the application uh, that dealt with the heavy lifting of the data in Rust. Uh, so that's how it began. And we thought, oh, we'll use Electron just to do the rendering. But we just found ourselves frustrated with how we would kind of piss away all the performance that we were gaining in the core. As soon as we touched the web tech part of it, and there was, we just, no matter what we tried, we couldn't optimize it away to our satisfaction. And so eventually I just made the decision, let's do it all. Let's do our own graphics. So I experimented with some different approaches, but ultimately we ended up just writing our own shader code uh, in metal shader language for now. So our stack is pure Rust. Even main is written in Rust. And we interface, right now we're only on the Mac, and yeah, implemented kind of like a video game where you know we redraw the entire window on the GPU on every update, just like a video game would. And the result is something pretty with a pretty extremely low latency. Um, did you then have to build the, the UI toolkit in Rust yourself? or Yeah, we don't render the little like traffic lights in the upper left. We let the OS render those, but everything else, we render everything. Yeah. Takes me back like 15 or so years ago when I was uh, getting the development and wanted to be a game developer. And then it was like C and OpenGL. And it's pretty much like a render loop. Yeah, we do integrate with the Mac OS event loop. So we don't write our own render loop. We were able to write a custom executor for that that drives features in Rust and supports async await that integrates cleanly with the Mac OS event loop. Have you also managed to, there is a lot of network then in between. Can you maybe talk a bit about that just to understand how that multiplayer mode works? We really view Zed as um, kind of a single application that spans the network boundary, if that makes sense. So it's very tightly integrated and, and tightly coupled. The server is written in Rust. The clients are written in Rust. And when we test this thing, we test it as a single system. Like we spin up a server, we spin up clients, we simulate WebSocket connections all in memory and we, we really view it as a single system. So as you're editing files locally, you can add a contact, which is another Zed user, um, by their GitHub username, and then just invite them into your project. When you do that, you're creating a WebSocket connection to our server, and then their RPCing requests through our server to you to understand what are all the paths in your project. When they open files, uh, they'll RPC and send the open request. Once they open a file, what we send back is an eventually consistent uh, data structure called a conflict-free replicated data type, which represents the 
the data in the buffer. And that's because like when someone's opening a file, a little bit of latency is acceptable because like it's a pretty coarse-grained action. And so we can RPC that across. But when they're editing, that's not acceptable. And so they apply their edits uh, to their local copy and you apply your edits to your local copy. And you exchange these operations and we've structured the data in such a way that um, things converge on the same content. Can you expand more? You, you start talking about testing and how you pull up the whole environment together. Early on in Atom, we would build things and write unit tests and we, we would think we would gotten it right. But inevitably, like you have a couple million people using something, <laughs> they're going to find every crazy edge case that you could never think of. And so at some point, I just reached the conclusion, like the only way to find bugs is just to like stress test our data structures and our software. And so we, you know, evolved this strategy of yeah, basically fuzz testing, like um, using a random number generator and just like bombarding our data structures with every possible interaction path in Zed. But when we started working on the multiplayer stuff, um, we got like we randomized tests, randomized tested the eventually consistent data structure I talked about. But we we wired up all the network stuff and like pretty quickly started hitting bugs. And so what we ended up coming up with is that um, that same story for async that I mentioned earlier, where you can write a custom executor that allow, allowed us to um, integrate really effectively with the Mac OS event loop. In tests, we were like, okay, what if we write a custom executor for that only we use only in tests? And the job of this thing is to run non-deterministic concurrent laden integration tests in a repeatably deterministic way. And so we have this test executor that like is seeded with a random number generator. And, you know, so we'll spin up a server, we'll spin up clients, but all the network interaction is like 100% simulated. We're not actually doing any IO. We're just simulating the IO and we're enqueuing all the places where IO might uh, introduce asynchrony onto this deterministic executor, which is exercising every possible ordering of all concurrent operations. And so when we have that 0.1% of cases where things fail, we can feed the same seed back into the random number generator and just run that over and over and over again and debug it and find it. And then when we run our tests on CI, we can choose, we actually, yeah, I think we have some investment to do here, but in terms of like making sure that there's a process that's just like really hammering this all day long. But you know, we have like a certain number of seeds that will test and that it, there's no non-determinism in CI. It always runs the same set of sequences. And so we don't fight the flaky test problem at all. Microservices architecture is all the rage these days. But do you know what it really means and how to implement it to empower your teams to make the best decision for the problem at hand? On the Semaphore blog, you can learn about microservices and how to take advantage of features like test reports, monorepo, and Docker support to build, test, and deploy your microservice application at scale. Head over to semaphoreci.com slash blog for more information. And happy reading! You could say that the volume of data and the combinations that you want to test with is like, you know, unlimited. Yeah, the search space can be quite large, especially as the complexity ramps. How do you limit that? How do you limit that? Well, I mean, it depends on the complexity of the tests. Like we have tests that are simpler in nature. Then we have like the big, big tests where we actually have everything random. And for that, like we're finding is like if you get into the tens of thousands of iterations and you're green, that in general, you can let it run for 
several hours and be green. I actually spoke with a lot of people actually on this podcast about that, you know, confidence level and what's the cost of that confidence that you're getting. And it seems that uh, your confidence level after three hours of running a random test is high enough that you can Yeah, shoot. exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really want the system to be reliable because, I don't know, you need a, quite a few nines of reliability in a tool like this to really count on it as like part of your workflow. Yeah, it's very important because it's a tool which is kind of extension of your of, of you, of your hands. Exactly. And we do have like a handful of panics. A lot of them we jumped on. I guarantee you without this technique, there'd be a lot more than a handful. And how would you assess now after launching beta, your current state in terms of your you know, product development, where you're right now and what are the... The first next things that you are looking forward to? We have a feedback tool in the editor and we also have a GitHub repo. We have some pretty common themes and high on the list is Copilot. A lot of people want that. People want improved Git integration. People want support for a broader range of languages. I'm also really excited to keep going on this vision of people collaborating with each other. We got to build a tool that you can get in and be productive first. And if I jump to the very beginning where you were mentioning Pivotal, uh, we are probably about the same age I remember those days. And uh, Pivotal and those practices were also, you know, very inspiring for us. And that's, cannot recall it exactly, but that was one of the reasons why we did, you know, practice pairing. Yeah. And I don't, you probably know the guy named Woody Zul. I don't actually. And have you heard about mob programming? Yes, I have. One thing I'm excited about, and we're not to it yet, is like the idea of kind of a Twitch stream, but it's more interactive. It's more like a massively multiplayer video game where you can kind of invite an audience in and put people on stage or whatever to code with you. But we're not there yet. Yeah. One thing that, that crossed my mind is we have some open source project that we launched and then we have a community in Discord. And I haven't used Discord prior to that, maybe a couple of months ago. And uh, so they have that, uh, I don't know, microphone and headphones, like as... You know, oh, right. icons in the chat. And if you enable those, you essentially, you know, you have that channel. And uh, as we were talking about collaborating within Zed and all of that, at some point it crossed my mind that maybe you can have a microphone and uh, <laughs> the same headphones icon. I uh, I know that the scope is exploding. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if you want to go there. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely thought about also like the idea of being able to kind of set office hours. Like, here's the times when I'm willing to chat with people. And here's the time where I want to focus and work on my own. Because like, even though I started my career at Pivotal pairing all day, every day, like I don't work that way anymore. Sometimes I do like to just like listen to music or just be able to think by myself. But I think a little, a little bit of synchronous interaction just really goes a long way in spreading knowledge about the code through the code base, like just cross-fertilizing ideas. You really trust your coworkers on a different level, I feel like, when you've like faced problems together and solved them together. I do a lot of interacting in Zed that's not pairing at all. It's just talking about code because you can like follow people talking through approaches with a, a team member. You know, maybe a, a conversation starts in Slack, but just the ability to like have that shared experience inside the code base together, like makes a huge difference, even if we're not going to spend hours that day pairing. You mentioned that there are a lot of things to build and, you know, explore and so on. Is there like uh, any thoughts around some, you know, plugin mechanism, add-ons? Can you share something about that? Yeah, we've definitely done a lot of thinking and a little exploration of plugins. I'm very shaped by the experience of Adam, where with Adam, we're just like, we're going to focus almost all of our energy on like kind of letting you do anything, literally fire up JavaScript on the main thread and like 
I mean, I wouldn't take that approach again. The challenge supporting an API is a order of magnitude harder sometimes, I think, than having like an internal API. Because right now inside of Zed, if something isn't making sense, I can just change it. And as soon as you have other people building on top of what you've built, you can't do that anymore. But I think the truth is like a lot of this, the system is stable enough now to where I'd be confident like opening it up. But another thing is just like you can spend a lot of energy maintaining and opening up an API. And after you've done all that, you still don't have any features. <laughs> You're still relying on other people to build on top of what you've created to provide those features. And so that's kind of why early on we've just focused on building a core ex- experience into the tool that was awesome before we sunk too much time into adding the API. So we're not quite there yet, ready to start on it, but um, we're getting closer. And our thoughts on how it will work is we really want to lean on WebAssembly because we're a compiled language and everything's already written in Rust. And so we could expose a pretty nice Rust API in WebAssembly. And then other people could take that and wrap it and expose it to other languages. Or maybe we would do that eventually. I just don't want to take the blame for a negative experience. So I think when we grow the team a bit, build out our core features like a little bit more, then we'll be in a better position to start on extensibility. And probably the first thing we'll want to add is just the ability to bring your own grammars and your own language servers. Please compile a to-do list for all of us that are listening and uh, want to try Zed, which is now in beta. What are the things that we should do? I don't know. Go to (laughs) zed.dev, click download, open it up. We tried to make it reasonably easy to onboard into it. And then I would love, whether you love it or whether you hate it or anything in between, it would be super helpful to say like, hey, I tried it, here's what I like, but I can't use it because X. That's about it. We've got a a GitHub repo. We can open issues and browse uh, what other people are doing. Um, Yeah. Thank you, Nathan, for this conversation. Yeah, thank you as well. And thanks for the opportunity to share. What a great conversation. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. Make sure to subscribe to Semaphore Uncut on your podcast player of choice so that you don't miss our new episodes. And stay tuned. 